Yate, and hello. And thank you for joining us today on Inside in Indian Country. I'm your host, Wesley Benali, Principal and National Tribal Practice Leader for RDW and working out of our Phoenix office. Today, we'll be covering a topic of leases. Tribal governments and tribal enterprises will now have the responsibility of evaluating current contracts and new contracts, as this new GASME may affect how those agreements are accounted for. Fiscal year 2022 will be a big year, and I'm sure you heard about GASB 87 here and there. Due to the pandemic, this was delayed, and the time is now to inventory, implement, and record those agreements. Today, I'll be talking with Chris Batakis, an audit and insurance principal from our Albuquerque office. He has well over 15 years of experience working with tribes, tribal enterprises, and tribal casinos. He will guide you through a quick summary of GASB 87, what you need to consider when reviewing contracts, and will provide some examples of leases that may or may not be included in this GASB. Thank you, and please listen in our conversation. Also, please don't forget to subscribe. Welcome to the Inside an Indian Country podcast, your premier source of accounting and business discussions affecting Indian Country. Presented by REDW. Hello, and welcome to Inside an Indian Country. Once again, this is Wes Benali, and I have with me today. Chris Patakis, and we're going to go through GASB 87 leases. So it's finally here. <laughs> uh, I know we've been talking about this forever, and you've probably heard it from your auditors or anyone in your finance circle, you know, in the pandemic, you know, just push that out to the future more. But, you know, we really want to get some insight on what to do with this now. Um, it's not going anywhere. So, you know, Chris, we're going to go through here real quick. Just as a refresher, could you provide just maybe a quick summary of what the heck GASB 87 is? Yes. Thank you, Wes. Greetings, everyone. So um, GASB 87, what is it? It's all about the new leasing standards that the Government Accounting Standards Board passed. So really, in a nutshell, what this does is it eliminates the um, you know historical terminology of capital and operating leases, and it basically lumps everything into one financial statement line item referred to as leases. And you can either have a lease payable or a lease receivable. And what this really does is put everything's on, put, puts everything on your balance sheet. So no more do you have operating leases that are off the balance sheet. And previously you had a little footnote disclosure that showed your future payments. Now, if you have an agreement where you have a underlying asset that you have the right to use, where you can obtain present service capacity, or, you know, drive the nature and manner of use this underlying asset, whether it be a land, building, vehicle, whatever you possibly could think you'd, you'd scope under a lease, this is all going on your balance sheet. Now, there's some nuances with that. Now, if you have a right to own, meaning after the term is over of your payments, that would be referred to as a financing agreement, and that would be scoped out of GASB 87. But it's really anything that you pay a monthly Fee for that doesn't transfer ownership at the end of the lease term. So, so Chris, you know, as I mentioned with, uh, you know, the delay. So, can you provide just a quick, you know, some insight on when the implementation date is for this GASB eighty seven? Yes, sir. So, background again: GASB eighty seven was passed back in twenty seventeen. Um, I think everyone's getting a little nervous as the twenty and twenty twenty one audits 
we're fast approaching and then all of a sudden we had this um force majeure event referred to as COVID-19 um happen and therefore ultimately delayed the implementation of this new accounting pronouncement. And the first year of implementation is for any any entity with a fiscal year end of June 30th, 2022 and later. So those of us might have already been implementing it for your June 30th year ends. Those of you on September 30th, 2022 year end, hopefully you're kind of, you know, past that process of inventorying and kind of maybe even discussing some of your potential entries. And then those of you with the December 31st, 2022 year end, hopefully um, you've started the initial due diligence to start inventorying some of those lease transactions. Yeah, so that that definitely makes fiscal year 2022 a very big year for a lot of you, um, especially that those of you that carry a lot of leases on, on your books that you currently have classified as operating lease. Um, you know, the other thing maybe to consider, you know, Chris, also, you know, there's always two sides of the transaction. There's the lease, leasee component and the leaser component. Maybe you could break down for the listeners real quick just what you would need to consider from the leasee side of things. Yes, thank you, Wes. And so um, before we kind of go into details of that, one thing I do want to let all the listeners know is there's a high probability that this leasing standard is going to cause more more anxiety than it's really going to show up on your um, books and records at the end of the year because there are a lot of you know a lot of uh, nuances of this standard that allow you to scope out, meaning you're not going to subject so many transactions to a lease. So the first thing you want to do, however, your um, internal policies drive this process, whether you use a check register, a general ledger detail, your vendor files. But at the end of the day, you want to inventory something at a high level of any reoccurring monthly payments for something that your entity does not own. And then from there, you want to see if you're receiving income or you're paying someone. If you're paying someone for the right to use a certain asset, you would be referred to as the lessee, meaning you're going to potentially put a new payable on your books. But before you do all that, I would recommend as you're going through your leases and before you put the payable on your books is to come up with a few um, questions, maybe like a mini decision tree that kind of drives your process where you, whatever is your starting point, you're going to be like, does this lease, you know, go on for more than, you know, 12 months? Does this vendor payment give us the right to use of a physical asset? Does this um, agreement over the life of it starting, you know, let's say for the purpose of this discussion, your June 3rd, 2022 year end. So you'd start with anything at July 1st, 2021. Does the term of this lease go out more than a year? And then as you kind of start filtering this, you're going to come up with hopefully a dollar amount. And then you're going to say over the life of this lease term, is it over $50,000, $25,000, $100,000? So you're going to kind of go through this decision tree that ultimately you know, waters down the, the population of which you potentially have the scoped into GASB 87. And so once you kind of minimize your population, when you're looking at the length of the term, is it a physical asset? Does it reach your dollar threshold? Then that's when you're going to actually look at the, at the leases with a hard copy or PDF. And you look for certain clauses that could potentially further scope out this lease, meaning it's not subject to GASB 87. So one of the, the biggest clauses we have seen that's very common in actually a lot of lease agreements is where 
either party may terminate the lease at any time without cause upon a certain days of written notice, whether it be that 30 days, 60 days, 90 days notice. And this referred to as non-cancelable periods versus cancelable periods. And so if a contract contains unilateral options to terminate for both the lessee and lessor, that's the key there. It can't be one or the other. It has to be both the lessee or lessor. You are ultimately not going to subject that agreement to GASB 87. Therefore, you don't have to worry about calculating the lease payable or lease receivable, depending on what side of the transaction you're on. Yeah, that's a good point. Some of us could take a deep breath with that, right? Um, and really, you know, kind of take a step back and say, oh my gosh, I got to review all these leases. You know, one of the, one of the uh, factors as well is like materiality, like, you know, we're talking about that's, you know, materiality typically for those of you that don't really understand that is really just, it's either a quantitative or qualitative view of how material um, something like this is to your, to your uh, books. Like for example, you know, the state of Arizona, they have something on their website with respect to GASB 87 implementation saying that we're going to look at things only $500,000 or above or something like that. Now, for those of you listening, doesn't necessarily mean you set it at 500,000, but you might want to consider, you know, talking with your auditors or talking with consultants about um, what might be a good threshold for implementation, because you know, that could include dropping a review of 50,000 leases down to maybe less than that or something like that. I'm kind of going a little extreme here, but, um, you know, those are some things definitely, you know, Chris mentioned in, in his, his breakdown. Now, Chris, maybe uh, you want to go to the other side, the lessor side, and kind of maybe just talk about that a little bit. Yes, Wes, thank you. And so I'm assuming we have a um, variety of listeners who both do full accrual accounting, you know, enterprise, discrete component units, and those of us on the governmental side who have to deal with governmental fund accounting. And so on the lessor side, um, there is no differences between the governmental fund accounting and the full accrual accounting. And so on the lessor side, whether you're a general fund um, or an enterprise fund, or, you know, or a, just a full-on for-profit entity, you are at the end of the day going to book a lease receivable and what's referred to as a deferred inflow. And so what that means is your revenue recognition is not going to change and you're going to have some new financial statement line items on the income statement as well. Because whether you're on the lessee, lessor side, every um, lease agreement needs to be discounted for the present value, assigned an interest rate, therefore calculating you know, both principal and interest in this calculation. And so old gap, on the lessor side, all entities would do would be debit cash, credit lease revenue. Now, you're before you book any entries during the current year under the new generally accepted accounting principles as a result of GASB 87, you're going to first calculate the present value of your lease receivable if you're the lessor, meaning you own the asset that you're leasing out to another entity. At the start of your fiscal year, you're going to debit a lease receivable and credit a deferred inflow. And then throughout the year, based on your present value future payment schedule, you're going to basically debit cash, credit revenue, lease revenue by reducing your lease receivable and crediting interest income. So that takes some things off. Um, different The different accounting requires you to adjust different statements. So And then your lease revenue gets recognized by amortizing that deferred inflow, which is on your balance sheet by debiting deferred inflow, crediting lease income. So on the balance sheet, your 
adjusting least receivable by the least income you're receiving during the year. So you're reducing your least receivable and your revenue recognition now is just amortized over the length of the lease by reducing deferred inflow of resources and crediting lease revenue. So your lease revenue and your cash receipts aren't always going to be the same in terms of your of your revenue recognition. And so that's one of the big changes by the lessor side of things. Yeah. And that's um that's pretty simple to do, you know. <laughs> no, um, I know, right? <laughs> so, so you know, those of you obviously listen in, and you know, it, there are some you know uh, nuances to this, and you know, always feel free to reach out to Mr. Batak if you have any questions. You know, he's always more than willing to kind of run you through a couple of items, or you know, we have um, a plethora of different examples. So, always reach out to uh, Mr. Batak is there in our Albuquerque office, and our other team members. You know, Chris really does lead a a good group of people in our, our CPE training that we have on a quarterly basis. And we're definitely running through this with everybody and making sure everybody's on the same page. Um, you know, and also on top of that, you know, Chris is pretty passionate about this stuff. So, you know, he's gone through and taken a look at agreements, walked through some items with clients so far. So maybe you could break down real quick what, you know, some things you're finding out or, you know, some things that are popping up that maybe we didn't consider previously that you could maybe provide to our listeners. Yes, sir, Wes. Um, one of the one of the big counting pronouncements that's reoccurring um, with GASB eighty seven that's having a bigger impact than I think we initially thought at the inception of this pronouncement for the June third, twenty twenty two years was GASB thirty three. The concept of does both parties receive or give up essentially equal value or not quite equal value, meaning. A lot of related party leases are not necessarily going to be scoped into this standard. When I say related party leases, I'm not just talking about the tribal government enterprise fund, tribal government discrete component. Unit. I'm also talking about tribal government to its, its tribal members or others within the community. And so what that really means is, you know, an individual or an entity could be paying a monthly payment for a right to use of an asset, whether it be land or building or a vehicle. However, that monthly payment is heavily discounted, i.e. subsidized, meaning that the tribal government, if they're the lessor, they're not necessarily receiving equal value in this payment each month as what the asset that the individual, the other entity is leasing. Therefore, GASB 87 allows you to scope out certain transactions that don't meet the definition of GASB 33. So an example where you really have that is Let's say a tribal government leases land to a tribal casino or a tribal hospital for a dollar a month or a dollar a year. Obviously, that's an extreme example, but but that would be scoped out. Anything that you know is close to that, where it's not equal value, would be scoped out. Some other considerations that you know you've got to be mindful of once you set your decision tree, come up with your dollar amount, your lease term, your interest rate is then see if any of these agreements have any performance-based clauses. And so some of the leases we've been reviewing during this implementation period is some of these leases have um, you know, certain requirements around how the entity is doing. So we've seen rental agreements where the travel government is leasing to a discrete component unit. However, the, month, the annual monthly payments of the lease term are based on the operating income of that related party. So since that's performance-based, there's there's no way any entity could potentially um, project out 
what that lease receivable should be over the course of the lease term. Another um, performance-based lease clause we're, we're seeing is, is with our tribal gaming clients to where a lot of those participation agreement machines or whatever right to use asset is based on, you know, activity, coin in, you know, gross gaming revenue, net one per machine per day, whatever is built in those lease agreements, those are going to be scoped out. Now, some of those agreements are going to have some fixed monthly fees, regardless of how the machine or that asset performs during that day. There's where you're going to hopefully address your capitalization threshold and maybe say, you know, if it's only 5000 a month, that's definitely not going to mislead the user if we don't put this lease payable on the books because you can only put it for $60,000 a year because you would only scope in that fixed fee payment. But once again, that'll be an internal decision each entity makes. But the bigger takeaway is that any performance-based leases are not going to be subject to this standard. Those are probably the two most significant um, clauses we've seen that are, like we mentioned earlier, are scoping out a lot of these lease agreements for tribes and tribally owned businesses. Yeah, that is definitely a great point, especially with, you know, working with um, tribal governments, you know, obviously the distinction between discreetly presented component units and enterprise funds can definitely play a factor in how to determine some of these agreements or how they affect your financial statements. You know, Chris, the other thing is, you know, when going through this determination, let's just say a lease is identified and, you know, the client needs to go through and, you know, do all the calculations, you know, obviously Excel is a great friend of ours and we could use it, but, you know, sometimes the time to calculate, you know, net present value and all that good stuff is a little, you know, tedious at times. So is there any other maybe tool that you can recommend that, you know, our clients might be interested in, our listeners might be interested in today that, you know, we use internally? Yes, Wes, that's a good point. It is, it is very um, tedious to ultimately use Excel and come up with these entries and formulas. I mean, even if you're an Excel wizard out there, there could be the risk of, of data errors. So there are quite a few leasing softwares in the marketplace. The one that RDW teamed up with is Trulion. So that's what we're rolling out to assist us in our auditing procedures, as well as if, if clients would like to engage directly with Trulion or form a partnership between Trulion and RDW and their entities. And therefore, your leases can be tracked throughout the year. You could make your monthly family basis, your, your monthly, quarterly, annual financial statements can be you know, incorporating all these lease adjustments real time because basically what this leasing software does is you scan in a lease or you type in the terms. And as long as you have your adoption date correct and your interest rate correct and the lease term, you'll basically have your future payment schedule, your adoption amount where you put the lease receivable or lease payable on the books at the inception date. And it shows you every single monthly entry you need to make to true that transaction up at month end or year end. So these are really powerful tools and they definitely save time. Now, the flip side is there are some additional fees associated with that. And, you know, Gatsby's intent was not to make this a burdensome standard or highly expensive implementation of this standard either. So there are, you know, some costs associated with this, but relatively speaking, I think the cost benefits are, are out, you know, the, the benefits outweigh the costs if you have a significant number of leases when you're implementing this standard. Yeah, that's a good point, Chris. I mean, at the end of the day, you want to be able to sleep at night knowing that it's done correctly the first time around as opposed to, you know, 
putting something together that ends up coming out wrong. So, you know, I, I think it's definitely worth, worth the cost and something that we definitely want to push through. Um, you know, lastly, just to wrap up, you know, now that we're here in, uh, you know, October and we're coming through with some clients or maybe even listeners out there who are coming on their uh, December year ends and, you know, obviously September 30th year ends, you know, what tips do you have and what recommendations do you have for them moving forward? You know, obviously we would want them to be a little more proactive, you know, before the audit um, to go through this. And so maybe Chris, you can provide us some quick words of wisdom and, you know, uh, uh, some tips on what to do. Yes, sir. Thank you, Wes. That's a good point. And so I'm kind of, uh, you know, from a project management standpoint, I always like working backwards to see what your deliverable will look like. So, you know, one consideration is, you know, especially if you're uh, an entity that requires comparative financial statements or, you know, NIGC requires comparative financial statements. So, you know, start with the deliverable and work back to what your engagement letter is going to look like or what you're going to have the level of effort is going to require. Because if you're showing comparative financial statements, you're going to have to restate prior balances, meaning, you know, if you're a 930, 2020, Two year end, you're going to have to have an adoption date of 10-120, which means, you know, your footnotes are going to have to get updated, um, your balance sheet, income statement, cash flows. And then if you decide to show a management discussion analysis or any kind of supplement information, so all that's going to have a domino effect on your financial statement. So, um, you know, the sooner you get some some parameters in place along the lines of your decision tree, lease terms, dollar amounts, what leases you're scoping in, scoping out after you run through the critical terms of each lease. And then you got to make sure you're updating it for you know each year that's included in your financial statement. So that would be a big tip. The second one is, you know, work closely with your external auditors. You know, mo- most auditors I think would love the, the additional correspondence. If, before they either start auditing the trial balance or as you're massaging your footnotes, there's nothing wrong with getting a sounding board. You're just making sure everyone's on the right page and how it's going to look and flow through the financial statements. And so, because every every entity, you know, you have options. There's not one way to skin a cat. So maybe you want to implement this new leasing standard by, you know, restating your capital asset roll forward or no payable roll forward by throwing out. Or maybe you want to run it through the current year and show it as a non-cash item on your cash flows. You know, the, the the good thing about this standard is I think there's some wiggle room just as long as everything gets on the books and you can disclose how the impact of this standard had on your financial statements. Yeah. So definitely a lot to think about. Um, once again, you know, as you're, you know, listening to this and things start popping up and you have questions, feel free to reach out to Mr. Batakis. Um, we'll have his information in the um in the in the Zoom and you know, always look up uh, rdw.com, look for Chris Patagas in our in our um, tribal practice group. But other than that, you know, Mr. Patagas, you know, thank you so much for uh, taking your time out today to, you know, inform our clients and inform all those listeners out there on how to how to put the, put together this GASB 87. And, and once again, thank you, everybody. And please, please stay tuned to the next episode. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening. We hope this time has benefited you. For more information or to connect, please visit redw.com.